I'm John Torres, and this is a Murder on the Space Coast bonus episode for Season 6, Monster on the Beach. If you're like me, then you're the kind of person who clicks on the extras after streaming a movie and loves to hear all the inside information. I love to watch the interviews with the actors and the inevitable behind-the-scenes stuff they always include. I decided to share some of the -the behind-the-scenes stuff here because, well, because this season not only hits close to home, but it was really a bear to get done. I'll explain why in a minute. So a lot of people ask me how we come up with topics for our Murder on the Space Coast podcasts, and some of you have even sent us topics that you'd like to see us tackle. The short answer is that normally I choose a topic because as a reporter I've covered those cases. Like in Season 1's Gary Bennett, or Season 4's Jeff Abramowski, Season 5's Crosley Green. Other times it's a case that everybody knows about, like Season 3's Brandy Hall. But Monster on the Beach is an animal unto its own. It came on my radar slowly, almost unseen as if it were a slow-moving haze trying to block out the sun. There were lots of little things over the years that eventually chipped away at that haze and revealed the true horror of this tale. As you'll hear me say several times on the podcast, I live pretty close to where the subject of Monster on the Beach, Dr. John Gaydon, preyed upon his victims. In fact, I would drive by his doctor's office every morning as I drove my kids to school, and I would often see a line of people outside his office, along with a hot dog cart. I guess I was naive, but I thought the place was some sort of employment agency or day labor sign-up. The people outside looked a little bit rough, like they were day laborers or homeless people just looking for a paycheck. During that time, I wrote a story or two about a local doctor getting arrested on marijuana charges and sex with an underage female. His name was John Gayden, but I didn't put two and two together at the time. And there was very little mentioned about him operating a pill mill. Around this time, I would also routinely see homeless people hanging out on the beach access points right across from Gayden's office. And my beautiful neighborhood started to look and feel a bit run down. Years later, I did a story about a group of neighbors who were sick and tired of a homeless camp right by the beach access that was being used to sell and use drugs. I'm not exaggerating when I say discarded needles and other drug paraphernalia routinely littered the path to the beach. We stopped using that path. Because of the neighbors' efforts, the land was cleared and the squatters eventually moved out. Then a few years later, in fact, years after John Gayden's pill mill was shut down, I was playing football with co-workers and friends at the Hoover Athletic Fields in Indy Atlantic when a murder and drug ripoff across the street interrupted our game. I did some research and was stunned when I started plotting violent crimes in this typically quiet beachside community. More often than not, the motive behind the violence was drugs. Still, I did not piece it all together. No, it wasn't until my wife Jennifer wanted to run something by me. See, she's a journalist as well. We actually met while we both worked for Florida Today. And back in 2019, she was working for a local weekly newspaper based out of Vero Beach. She was covering the towns of Indy Atlantic and Melbourne Beach, and she received a very interesting email from a man asking why she wasn't writing about the drugs and the surf ghetto, a term that was new to both of us. She decided to learn more and met the man in a public place to talk about what he meant. His name was Tyler Kelsey. She began working on a story tying the violence and the rundown homes to a pill mill doctor who used to operate in the area by the name of John Gaydon. 
Then, as fate would have it, her newspaper shut down and the story was never written. A few months later, she encouraged me to take the story. I looked over her notes and immediately thought this would make a great topic for my podcast. I called up Tyler and set up a meeting and recorded interview. Then I started to go back and analyze court records, transcripts, arrest reports. I found the names of people I wanted to interview, including agent Jason Kriegsman with the Florida Department of Law Enforcement. Federal Prosecutor Dana Hill out of Orlando, who specializes in medical crime cases, and Brevard County Sheriff Wayne Ivey, who I knew was very passionate about opioids and opioid abuse. I received recordings from police pertaining to the case. One in particular really affected me. It was an interview with a Melbourne teen named Corianne Lundstrom. There was something about her voice, her words, that filled me with sadness. She talked frankly with police about her addiction to oxycodone. Another great source for me was the social media app Nextdoor. I simply put a call out to anyone whose life was affected by Dr. Gaydon, and I was able to speak with lots of people, some of whom you'll hear on the podcast. Then one day, while searching the internet for anything I could find about Gaydon, I discovered something on IMDb, you know, the website all about movies. Someone by the name of Dante Culp was working on a documentary about John Gaydon. Crap, I thought. I'd better move fast. And then I received an email from him. Dante had found the article or two I had written about Gaydon and wanted to interview me on camera for his documentary. I agreed and we struck up a friendship or alliance of sorts. We started sharing information and some of the interviews that we had collected. Dante knew people that had gotten hooked on opioids because of John Gaydon and he was very passionate about the story. He was also very generous and provided me with two videotaped interviews he did with Drs. Viscara and Zabios, who both worked with Gade at various times. You'll hear parts of those interviews on the podcast. I recently reached out to both doctors to see if they had anything else to add, but they never called me back. It was great having Dante around. We served as sounding boards to each other, and we eagerly shared new tidbits that we had found with each other. I just went back and looked at all the texts we sent each other and was amazed at how much we communicated. He was always very good at responding quickly and that's why I knew something was wrong in early 2021 when I sent three texts over two days without a response. I was saddened to learn that he passed away suddenly after a brief illness. By that time I was flying along on the podcast when I got promoted to engagement editor here at Florida Today. This was a great move for me, but it did mean I had to put the podcast on hold for a bit while I got acclimated to the new job. I worked on it here and there when I could, but really, production of the podcast really slowed to a crawl. Then my wife and I lost three of our four parents in the space of 16 months, and that really affected me, and I had to work my way through a personal funk. It was hard some days to find the energy to get back to the podcast. But then I watched a series on Hulu called Dope Sick about the opioid crisis and the Sackler family that ran Purdue Pharma, the makers of oxycodone and oxycontin. That show provided the jolt I needed. Before long, my producer Rob Landers and I finally were able to produce six episodes of this crazy and tragic story. It's an important story. And so here you have it, Monster on the Beach. I'm opinion editor John A. Torres, and you can follow me on X, the platform formerly known as Twitter, at John Albert Torres. That's at J-O-H-N-A-L-B-E-R-T-O-R-R-E-S. And follow the podcast on at 
321 murder. For more information on these cases and web exclusives, please go to floridatoday.com. Murder on the Space Coast is written and narrated by me, John A. Torres. The producer is Rob Landers, and the editor is Mara Bellaby. Thanks for listening to Monster on the Beach, a Murder on the Space Coast podcast, brought to you by Florida Today, a part of the USA Today Network.